Well, it's good to share God's word with you this morning and um, uh, thankful to Pastor Ryan and the leadership for the opportunity to share God's word. It's always a joy. It's always as well a responsibility um, to stand and share God's word. We just, yeah, I always say I'm just a vessel and God uses any willing vessel. If he could use a donkey, he can use me today. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right, today our, yep, I knew Vince would say amen to that. <laughs> today our, um, our sermon, we're going on, on the same, we've been going on the book of Colossians with Ryan, and we're still going to go on the same route. So he asked me to look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, but the title of my message today is, it's time to suit up. I know most guys who were at the men's group this Thursday, now we spoke a little bit about dressing and how uncomfortable I was last week wearing shorts at church and all that, and they're like, yeah, and somebody came to me and said, oh, you're even wearing your pajamas at church. I was like, oh, Lord, that's even making it worse. So some of the guys would understand um, that I'm talking about suiting up. I don't mean what we spoke about on Thursday. I'm talking about something different today. Going into the book of Colossians, we realize that the book of Colossians is a cosmic book. It speaks of the cosmic Christ. It speaks of the Christ who is the creator, who is the sustainer, the Christ who is a redeemer, and also a reconciler. Not only of the universe, but of man, the universe, and God, putting those three together. So we see Christ in Colossians in different ways. There are six ways that we see Christ in Colossians. The first one is all supremacy. We spoke about that when we spoke about Colossians chapter 1, that he seated at the right hand of the Father. All power and all supremacy on him. So this is part of what Colossians is all about. The second thing is all sufficiency. And we know that Paul is writing to Colossians to tell them that it's Christ alone. No additions. Christ alone. He's all sufficient for your salvation. He's saying that the work that he's done is all sufficient. Who he is to us is all sufficient. And then number three, it speaks of Christ's uniqueness. The book of Colossians, look at Christ, how unique he is, and how following him makes us part of that unique tribe. It says you are a chosen generation. In another scripture, it speaks about us being chosen, being pulled out, being called off by God. So there's a uniqueness in that ministry. And then number four, it shows us the fullness of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The fullness of him, because at that time in Colossae, we know that scholars tell us that there were a lot of arguments, a lot of agnostics had come in and said, well, Christ was not really human, he was never, you know, there was a lot of confusion in that. And Paul says, Paul writes this book to show them that Christ was all human and all God. It boggles my mind how that happens. But Christ was all both in one. He was best of both. He was a two-in-one, kind of like. And so he's, he, he's, he explains that to the Colossian church. The fifth thing that he speaks about is Christ as the creator and the sustainer. He's a creator not only of the universe, as I've said, but also of um, the human beings, the animals, the life on earth. But also not just a creator and stopping there, he goes on to sustain it for it to go on. So he speaks of Christ as a sustainer. And then the last part of this is Jesus is the God-man, Savior, reconciler, and redeemer of the universe. 
These are the points that Paul looks at in the book of Colossians. And I know we've gone through some of the points in our, go- in, in our, past, in our past sessions that we've had with Pastor Ryan. So today I'm going to pick up from Colossians chapter 3, from verse 1 to 4. Um, would you put that up for me on the screen? I've got the scriptures up on the screen if you want to read it from there or there's a Bible in front of you. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And this is Paul speaking to us. In these three, in these four verses that we're looking at, we see Paul speaking about seeking things that are above. We see Paul speaking about finding our life in Christ. Those are the two main themes that we see. Seeking things that are above and finding our life in Christ. And in explaining these two things, Paul looks at the past. The, you, if, you, if you look at the scripture, you see that a lot of past tense, you've been raised. And then he goes on and he speaks of the present. Christ is presently seated. And then he goes on and he speaks of the future. And when Christ, who is going to be revealed and what we are going to be. So he covers the past the present and the future. And I want us to just look at that together and go into what God's word says. I'm, I have looked at the scripture mostly in the Amplified Bible because it's got a lot of other explanation of words that I really like. So as we go on, I'll be looking at um, verse by verse from the Amplified Bible. So our verse one from the Amplified Bible, if we've got it on the screen, it says, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ... To a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead. Keep seeking things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's talking about seeking things that are above where Christ is. What does this mean to us? Seeking things where Christ is speaks about putting our focus and our interests and our effort in seeking things that are above. What are these things that are above? What does it mean? And usually when I take a verse, I look at some words and look at meanings of certain words. I looked at the word seek, what it means in that context. Seek in that context speaks of striving for something. It means to pursue something. It means to endeavor to obtain something and to desire to possess something. It speaks about us pursuing things that are above Pursuing, following after, running after. There's a song that says, I'm running after you. And those kind of things, we, we sing them, but we don't really understand what it means. It means we pursue, we seek, we run after. When you seek for something, you don't just sit and wait for it to come. You stand up and you work on it and you pursue it. When I was pursuing my degree, I did not sit and wait for it to come. Yep. There are students and, and, and some uh, of my colleagues from InterVarsity here today who work with IPFW and other universities around Fort Wayne, and they know this. Um, well, they're sitting there at the back. Thank you guys for coming. Um, they, they know, they, they understand, students understand when you're pursuing your degree, you're not sitting at home and waiting for it to come. You're working towards it, you're running towards it, you're taking time to work on that. 
And sometimes we find that as believers, we think that as we sit, it's good to wait on the Lord. That's what we usually say. And we never seek and pursue what God has for us. And God is calling us as a church to step out. To step out and pursue it. Step out and seek it. Step out and seek his face. He says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I will make myself found by you. God wants us to pursue that relationship with him. So seeking speaks of striving towards for something. It's speaking of pursuing. It's speaking of endeavoring to desire to possess something. And as well, to seek in the same context means to orient our lives in a certain way. And it says, seek things that are above. So orient your life to the things that are above. I use a lot of um, university examples. But well, um, as a student, when you come into university, this week actually, IPFW is having orientation week where students are coming in. Is it this week, hey? I'm right. They're coming in and they're getting to know what's happening. I found myself yesterday speaking to my, um, my wife's cousins that are going to college for the first time. And uh, when we're talking, the first question that came out of my mouth is, so when is orientation? And we all know that, oh, well, students have to have orientation and all that. But as Christians as well, we need to orient ourselves with things that are above. And if you look at that word orient, what does it mean? It means to align and to position oneself. If you're talking about orienting, um, uh, let me say a compass, you need to align it to a certain, a certain direction for you to orient it. So that's the same thing with us. We are called to orient our lives, to, to move or to position our lives, to align our, our lives with what is above. The second part of orientation means one's position in relation to a new and strange surroundings. When the students go to university now, to college, those who are going to college, I know Aaron is one of them that I know is going to college. So he's going to have to go through orientation because this is a strange place that he's not been before. And they're going to try and help him find where everything is and fit into the society. And the same thing with us as believers. We are not made for this world. This life that we, he- we have here, I've got news for you if you didn't know this, is just past a vapor of what we have set before us by God. And so we start to orient ourselves with that that we have not physically seen and touched. We start to orient our lives towards that which is going to be longer than this. I'm going to come back to that. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So, we are called to lift up our vision. We are called to look beyond the life now. We are called to look beyond the things that we see on the earth that are tangible. We are called to find and seek direction from above. Somebody once said, Bible stands for uh, a book of instructions before leaving earth. And, and it's, it's, it, it could be true. It's our book of instruction before we leave here. How are we supposed to live our lives here? So he is giving them and he's saying to them, you need to, to seek this, to orient your life to this, to start working towards this. This is where you are going. You are going above. That's where your life is. One writer and um, theologian scholar, William Hendriskin, writes and he says, I've got it on the screen, I think, for you. 
speaking about what it means to seek. He says it implies persevering effort. More than just a seeking to discover, it is a seeking to obtain. When you discover something, you see it. Yay, there it is. But when you obtain something, you grasp it. You take it as yours. And he's saying this life in Christ is not something to discover. Yes, I've found Jesus. As most people say, you think, was he lost? But they go, yeah, I found Jesus. So what have you done with him if you found him? There's a difference between discovering and finding something and obtaining something. And we are called to to be at a point where we obtain this life. To obtain this heavenly life. Things to look at. Corrie Ten Boom says, look. Look around you and be distressed. Look inside you and be depressed. And look to Jesus and be at rest. Sometimes it's the orient, the way we look at things... Is, it works along with how our minds are oriented to something. If we are oriented to the standard of this world, we'll look everything at everything through the eyes of this world. But if we are oriented to things that are above, we'll look at things differently from the eyes and the mindset of God. Verse 2. It says, Set your mind and keep focused habitually on these things. Above, um, above the heaven, heavenly things, not things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. He's changed here from seeking things to setting your mind. This might show, especially to the youth, how old I am, and I didn't want to do this, but I will have to. Okay, when, when I was a kid, we had... The youth still think that I'm 16 like them, so I'm like, yes. When, back when I was a kid, youth, you can close your ears. Back when I was a kid, um, we, we used to have um, the VHS videos. We did not have what these guys have now. It was the VHS videos that... It was big things that you would shove into the... Uh, I had so many of them stuck in the VCR so many times. So, in those days, what would happen is, it still happens well in South Africa, that sometimes we would lose power. And when we lose um, power and there's no lights for maybe a few hours or a few minutes, when the, when, when the, when the power comes back and the, v, uh, and, my, and the VCR comes back on, it needed you to reset it. For it to work. It wouldn't just carry on and work as it was. You need to reset it. So I want to use that picture and say to you, Christ says, now that you are risen with him, now that there is power that you... The Bible says that we know him, even the power of his resurrection. We share in fellowship with him. So now that we, have ra- we are raised with him, we need to reset our lives. We reset our lives to focus and for it to be able to meet up with the heavenly standard. The word there, set your mind, is translated from a Greek word, um, frontenei. And frontenei means that you, you come into a point where you, you, your orientation, again, coming back to orientation, is changed. So if we look at the scripture from verse 1 to verse 2, he emphasizes the issue of orientation. He says it twice. That's emphasis. What does that mean to us? There's something important for us to grasp. 
We are called to orient our lives in a different way. What, is, what ways does the world orient its life? They orient their life through fulfilling themselves with, trying to fulfill themselves with possessions, trying to fulfill themselves um, with being in the group, in the fashion, uh, trying to fulfill themselves with lust, trying to fulfill themselves with so many things. And how are we as believers supposed to live differently? Our fulfillment and our orientation should be different that we start to look at things that are inside than things that are outside. Last week, Ryan spoke about that the fact that it's not the outside standard that qualifies one to be a child of God. He said it's what, it's what has come in the life of Christ that has come in. If, there's a life, if the life of Christ is in you, it's inside you, but it will show outside with your works. But it starts on the inside. On the world side of things, things start from the outside. They look at this guy and like, oh, well, he, he qualifies. He looks good. He looks good for the part. Think about when you're going on television, for example. And let's say you're going to go and audition for a part. One of the first things that they do when you come in it's not to watch you act, it's to look at you on the outside. Do they really fit that position? Will they be able to portray what we want them to portray? That's what the world does. But when it comes to Christ, it starts on the inside. When you accept Christ and you accept his life for you, the Bible says you are raised with him. And what does that mean to us? It means that once we were dead in our sin, that's past, previous, if you have accepted Christ and you're a child of God and you, you are growing in knowing God, that means you have died to sin. But not only just died and left there, but you were risen with Christ. And that means that there is a new life in you. Your life is oriented differently from what it was before. So we are called then to be those people who, 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 who have an ongoing emphasis in looking at how do I walk? One person once said to me, as a believer, we need to watch our feet more than watch anything else. Why did they say that? This old man was saying to me, my son, he was my uh, mentor pastor when I, was, yeah, when I was in South Africa. He said to me, my son, always watch your feet. And I, in the beginning, I didn't really understand it. Then eventually he said to me, what I mean by always watch your feet is that it's how you walk. It's how you walk this Christian life. People do not care how much you know. God is not worried on how much you know. He's worried on who you are becoming in the process of knowing all that you know. And it's shown in the way that we walk. It's shown in the way that we behave. It's shown in the way that we respond to people. So as believers, Christ, uh, Paul is saying to us here, he's, well, he's speaking on behalf of Christ. He says, have your life oriented to the things that are above. Have your life, reset your life to what is above. Our orientation is supposed to be for things, from things that are above. Below here on earth are matters that are not lasting. Things that are not lasting, things that are not eternal is what we have here on earth. I don't know if you remember the time when Ryan spoke about eternity and he had a few people standing here and he used the, the arm kind of like thing when he said, this would be your life and then he had other people standing here. This is your life here on earth 
and then the rest of this is your eternity. And we had people almost going all the way around. And he was explaining to us that this life that we have here is just but a minute or even a millisecond compared to eternity that we have with God. And that eternity does not start when we are out there. It starts here now. And I want to go into that because our scripture goes into that. But before I do that, also in orienting our lives, orienting our life is not easy. It takes discipline. We are called disciples of Jesus, which means we are disciplined in the ways of Jesus. Amen? How many of you here are disciples of Jesus? Just... Okay, good. As disciples of Jesus, we are called into a life of discipline. And I know it's tough, but that's the truth. We are called into a life of discipline. And the other thing that goes with discipline for us as believers, for us to be able to orient our lives, is to practice spiritual disciplines. It's all about discipline and practice. It's all about spiritual formation. Where are you? Are, are you putting, what type of stuff are you putting inside of you? Young people, what type of stuff are you listening to on your headphones? Older people, what type of stuff are you reading on the news or reading on a magazine? What type of stuff are you inhaling in? When you've got a sponge, and you squeeze it, what's inside comes out. So sometimes when we are, under, when, we are being, when we are being trained with this, we become like a sponge and we take up all those things. We take up all those things. But when you want to see what kind of a believer one is, give them a little bit of pressure. Squeeze them. And you see where their life is oriented at. And we are called to soak up with things from above. How do we soak up with things from above? By spending time with God. Spiritual formation and spiritual discipline become very important if we're going to change our lives to what Paul is asking us to do here. Meaning spending time with God. Sometimes we think spending time with God means the one and a half hours that we spend at church. That's not spending time with God. Spending time with God means your personal time with God. I want to ask you a question as a believer, as a disciple of Christ. How have you been on your, on your devotions, your devotional life? I have had times where I've struggled with devotional life. But I've, I've, I've learned to, 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 to actually almost discipline myself to do it. We do devotions every night with my wife as a couple. And it's difficult. Sometimes we kind of like, oh, we are so tired. And, and then you think about it later, you're like... I was not so tired to watch the Olympics. But I'm tired to do a devotion with the Lord. I was not so tired to sit there and, and cheer for uh, Michael Phelps. Well done, well done, Michael Phelps and the American team. But we are too tired to spend time with God. Spending time with God for some people means taking retreats, going away. Away from the news, away from the TVs, away from the cell phones, away from the radios. When I was in a, conf- when I was in a conference two weeks ago, in, uh, I think it's three weeks ago in medicine, they gave us some time. I like intervals because they give you some time. They gave us some time to do, to get a retreat, a half-day retreat, silent retreat. 
Don't speak to anyone. Don't do anything. Just go and spend time with God. Take your Bible. Um, if you want to take worship music, good for you, but you have to put it in your ears. Don't speak to anyone. Spend time with God. Spend quiet time. Stop yep yapping. And I went out. And I sat and I spent time with God. And for me, that was such an amazing time. It revived not only the man inside of me, but it revived some things that I had forgotten. The Lord brought them to remembrance. But remember this. I called you. Remember this. There is a purpose in your life. Remember who you are. And most of the times when we get to that point, then we realize who we are. There is an awakening to realizing who we are. And the moment you realize who you are in Christ, it changes your outset of things, what people see on the outside. Because when you realize who you are in Christ, you realize that you can step away from some of the binding sins that you have in your life. You realize that you have got the power to step. You have got the power to resist and say, no, I'm not going to do this. Sometimes we think that people have to resist uh, sin in other ways and, and scream and shout. That doesn't work. It's realizing who you are in Christ. Realizing the work that he's done in your life. The complete work that he's done. When you realize that and you identify with that and you change your perspective and you change your orientation to that, I am a child of God. I am the child of a king. He died and he rose again. I died with him in baptism and I was risen again with him. There's a new life in me. That changes your orientation. That changes the way you see things. That changes the way you respond to things. So having time with God will help one to change, to see that change. Taking time away with God and, and practicing spiritual disciplines and formation, it will help you to form who you are in Christ and bring it out. In the same verse 2, he speaks about the fact that set your mind... Why does he use the mind? The mind is the biggest background in our lives. Because that's where the devil throws things. I was speaking to somebody yesterday. I was like, do you know when the devil just throws everything when he's got no choice now? You know when somebody's angry and they just throw the pots and pens and everything, they're thinking one of them should stick. That's what the devil does sometimes with believers. You have all these, mind, these, these thoughts in your mind one, one writer said, um, he said, you can never stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest on your head. And the same thing with our minds. As this is the, the background, there's so many things that come to mind. The devil will bring, I mean, some are sitting here and the devil's already brought, oh, what about the cheesecake this afternoon? When is he finishing? You know? And so many other things. But what I'm saying is that the, the devil throws all those things. But you as a child of God, you've got the power not to let that circle in your mind. Being tempted is not sin. But yielding to temptation is sin. So the devil will throw all these things into your mind. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, I don't have it on, on, on the slide, but 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Casting down every imagination, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought to cap into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. When a thought comes up to your mind, match it with what God's word says. How do you match it with what God's, ways, what, what God's word says is because you have spent time in God's word and you know God's word. 
If you don't know God's word, you will not have anything to match it with. So spending time with God and reading his word will give you the opportunity to have word. Psalm says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And the more we hide his word in our heart, then our mindset is changed. As I say it as well, there's a difference between listening and hearing God's word. We can listen to something, but hearing something is totally different. So we need to be believers of those who hear God's word. There are a few things that Paul speaks about in Philippians 4.8 about things to meditate on, to put our minds on. In the Amplified, he says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worth of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely, and whatever brings peace, and whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. I like the way Eugene puts it in the Message Bible. He says, summing it up, friends, I think we should have it as well. Summing up, friends, I would say you do your best by filling your minds. We are to fill our minds with these things. What are you filling your mind with? How do we fill our mind? We fill our mind by what we see and by what we hear. Those two are usually the gateways to our mind. And then he says, fill your minds with these things. And he says, and meditating on things true, how much truth do you meditate on? The truth that we have is the word of God. How much truth do you meditate on? Meditate doesn't just mean reading a verse and just closing it and that's it. Meditate means spending time on it. Thinking on what is it saying to me? What is God saying to me with his word? And he says, meditating on these things, on things that are true, and the truth is the word of God. Things that are noble, things that that are reputable, things that are authentic, things that are compelling. Compelling us what? Compelling us to change. Compelling us to change our focus, to reset, to press the reset button. And then he says, things that are gracious. The best, not the worst. I had, a, I had a, an attack on Thursday where everything was just turning the worst. I would think about one thing and then turns just the worst in my mind. My wife and my daughter went for um, a game at the, at the Parkview. Uh, I, I don't know what you guys... At the ball, yeah, the ball field. I'm trying to learn these American terms. I'll just say at the stadium. <laughs> so they were out there and I was at the men's group. And driving down, the devil just attacks you. An example of how he attacks you in the mind. I'm driving down, I'm thinking, oh, maybe they shouldn't have gone. What if the ball hits Henley and she dies? Oh, what if, what if my wife just pulls up and a truck hits them and they both die? What? And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, just get that away from my mind. And I'm driving on, and, and the devil is like, oh, what if, what if you crash? I was around the hospital. What if you crash to this hospital and they can't even get you inside and you die? And there's so many things that the devil will throw in your mind. And I was like, get away, devil. And that did not stop him. 
He went on. So many things. I'll think about a thing and, oh, there's a bad in that. The worst will come out of that. And I got here and I said to my brothers during prayer, I said, uh, guys, I'm struggling with fear. There's one of the spiritual disciplines right there. Being in community. I was in community enough to stand before the guys and say, guys, I'm struggling. I need your help. Pray with me. It didn't take long. The guys were on it. They were on it. And they prayed for me. And I got home. I was like to my wife, I feel much better. She didn't know I was struggling with this. I'm like, I feel much better, but I was struggling with this. The following day, I shared it with Eldon. Before I could even finish, she was holding me and praying for me. So what I'm saying, at the end of the day, being in that community is part as well of the discipline of changing your orientation. If those guys, if those men that I spoke to were not there to pray with me at that time, I don't know what I would have. I would have been a wreck because I would have been nervous about everything. And so part of it is that we need to be at a point where we're not thinking the the worst, but think the best. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things Things to praise, not to curse. How many times do we think of things to curse, not to praise? How many times in a day, if you take, take some time and write this down, every evening, write down a few things and say, Lord, what is it that I praised you about today? Make it a discipline. What are things that I can praise you for the day about? And then it says, put into practice what you've learned from me and what you've heard and seen and realized. Um, do that and God will make everything work together. Um, and will work into his most excellent harmonies. That's part of another scripture that I didn't want to read. But he goes on and he speaks about those things. In our lives, our thoughts become actions. In your life as a believer, your thoughts, the reason why he says, set your mind, because your thoughts become your action. They give birth to action. And action becomes a habit as you do it over and over again. That's how addiction comes in. Becomes a habit. And a habit builds a character. And our character is to be built by God's word. So our thoughts should be aligned to God's word so they can build an action towards God's word. And then they can build a habit. Then they can build character. So we need to be at that point where we realize that there is a change. And Paul speaks about it and he says, look at seeking. He speaks about seeking which speaks of changing of desires. That leads to change of thoughts when it speaks about your affections. So when you start to change your desires to seek, you start to change your thoughts towards something. And then that eventually changes your action for something. The last two verses. Verse 3 and 4, excuse me. Paul says, you have died to this world, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the good part of it. It says we are freed. Last week, Pastor Ryan spoke about we are free from the ceremonial laws. We are free from the laws of circumcision, laws of do not touch this, do not eat that, blah, blah, blah. He spoke about that last week. He says, he emphasized that he says, we are free, we have died with Christ and we have risen with him. 
And death there means putting to death those kind of things, putting to death our, our earthly desires, replacing them with godly desires, putting to death our earthly wants, replacing them with our godly ones. As much as heaven and hell or heaven and earth are contrast to each other and can never be the same, heaven and hell can never be the same, as much as those two are different, so is the life of a believer and the life of an unbeliever. Our lives as believers are totally different because when we desire things that are above, we set our minds on these things and our life is channeled to these things that are above. But when we desire things that are of this earth, we set our lives and our minds and our trail is looking down the whole time on things that are here, things that are not eternal. We are invited by God. He says, come to me and buy gold that is eternal. Come to me and get silver that is eternal. It's all about eternity. We need to walk closely with God in loving obedience to his word as believers. That's what we need to do. The more we have affections for the things of the world, they destroy our affections for the things above. And the same way, the more we have affections for the things above, they'll destroy our affection for the things of this world. They'll start to slowly but surely destroy them. The Bible says we are born again, we are dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. And today, church, I want you to realize you are alive in Christ. And your life in Christ, who you are, when you discover that you are alive in Christ and who you are in Christ, it changes your mindset. And I want us today to have a realization, to have a light bulb coming on, that we are alive in Christ. And when we do that, our perspective changes. We start not to sweat the earthly stuff. We don't really need it. Then he goes on and says, your real life is hidden in Christ. Charles Vergen says, I've got it up there, one of the theologians says, the Christian life is a life hidden with Christ in God. But it is still, Paul explains it, a life that is lived out now on earth. We don't leave it there only. We start to live it here. The Zoe life, the eternal life that God has placed in us, we don't start living it there, we start living it here. And as we live it here, we live it here by realizing who we are. When you find your identity, I don't know how many times I need to stress this, when you find your identity in Christ, it changes your perspective, it changes your life, it changes the way you see who you are in God. Find your identity. Find out who you are in God. The devil lies to us a lot. And throws all these thoughts and, 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 and discouragements and we don't realize who we are in Christ. When you are awakened to who you are in Christ, it changes a lot of things. It changes the way you view things. It changes the way you see your brother. It changes the way you, you walk around. It changes the way you respond. You don't react to things anymore. You respond to things because you know who you are. If you look at the, the royal family, they teach their kids from being a, a kid. I mean, for example, the, 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 the prince that was born recently, he's been taught, you, you are a prince. This is how you walk. 
This is how you deal with things. This is how you, you, you go on in public. This, this is you. This is who you. And the same thing for us. When we are born in Christ, we, we, we become part of that chosen nation, a royal priesthood. We've got our own way of doing things. We don't do things the same way as the world does it. When the world speaks and complains about things, we don't complain, we kneel down. Because we know where we need to go. When the world is struggling and trying to get as much as they can, we try to give as much as we can. When the world is at a point where they're like, oh, how much more can I get out of this? Our mindset is how much more can I give? And how much more of my life can I be open so that people can glorify God in heaven? That's our life. That's our new life in Christ. So this new life in Christ is protected. It's safe. Being hidden speaks of being protected and safe and eternal security. It, it, it might look invisible. It's invisible to the world because they are dead. The Bible says that the things of the spirit are foolishness to those who are dying and perishing. But they are alive to us because we are made alive in Christ. So the same thing here. The world will not pat you on your back for your holiness, for living a holy life. They will never pat you on that because it's, it means nothing to them. But to us as the church, we know what that means. We know the value of that. Christ is not just the source of our life. He is our life. Christ is not just part of our life, the one who gives us life. He is life itself for us as a believer. So as a believer, I need you to realize that your life is Christ. There is a prayer that, that speaks of Christ in me, Christ without, Christ in front of me, Christ behind me, Christ besides me. I usually pray that prayer a lot of times because I realize that it's all Christ. And people, we usually sing, um, give more of you, Lord, give me more of you. Uh, I, I struggle with that because usually I sing, Lord, none of me and all of you. Christ being the center. When we say Jesus be the center of our lives, Jesus be the center of the church, that's when our mindset has shifted to point to Christ. Last few things. It speaks of Jesus being seated at the right hand of God. This thing speaks of majesty, him being the king of our lives. A king has authority over his jurisdiction. Does Jesus have authority of our lives? Can we say that all corners of our lives are open to him to have authority on? It speaks of authority. Jesus has authority. And the question is, have you given him authority over your life? It speaks of power. Seated at the right hand of the Father speaks of power. We're in Arizona... And at the church where we were, the Sunday school, as Rick shared the other week, the lady asked a very good question that we speak about power. Where is the power? Why don't we see the power of God in our lives? Something that we need to think about. It speaks of Christ's supremacy, his preeminence in everything. It speaks of rest. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is at rest. He has done his job. He 
his work is complete. It's Christ and Christ alone. What he has done on the cross has completed it all. There is no addition. It is done. So as he sits by the head of the Father, he's saying, I'm done. It's a position of rest. What we need to do is just to step into that promise. What we need to do is to step into that. We need to seek that. We need to orient our lives towards that. And where are we as a church, as a believer individually? And then he goes on to speak of when Christ is revealed in you, you will be revealed with him in glory. Warren Westby says, eternal life is not some heavenly substance that God imparts when we as sinners trust in, in the Savior. Eternal life is Jesus Christ himself. He is our life. A story is told of a farmer who captured an eagle. And when he captured this eagle, it was a, still a chick, and he put it in the chicken coop with his chickens. And every time it would, and he tied it so that it doesn't run away. And every time it played with the chickens, it thought it was a chicken. Then one day, one, one um, climber comes up and says to him, why do you have this tied here? You should let him enjoy and saw up and see what's up there. And the farmer reluctantly untied the um, the eagle and put it up and it just jumped down and went on picking like the chickens and daily he started now daily every day putting it up on a, person, on, on a high place so he can see things that are high and each time it would jump down and scratch like the chickens then eventually one day he put it up and it like oh these work and it started working went up a bit and then came back down the next day, it saw some eagles going up, and it took off. Sometimes in our lives as believers, we've been chained to this world by the devil and by the thoughts of this world, by the cares of this world. We've been so much chained that we don't live our eagle life. We live like chickens, pecking on the ground. We are called for a higher life. Like the eagle was made to fly high, and the chickens are made for the ground, we are made to fly high, church in our thoughts, in our view. And where are we? Don't be like the, the chicken. Be an eagle. The world says that, I've heard the world saying to people, you're so heavenly minded that you're earthly useless. <laughs> I laugh at that. Because it's unscriptural. The Bible calls us that when we are heavenly minded, then we are earthly useful. Remember Ryan spoke about that when we realize who Christ is, then we are able to, he, he, he alluded to things like working on the environment, reconciling everything to Christ, because we understand who we are in Christ. So when you are heavenly minded, you are actually more useful than when you are not. When you are earthly minded, you forget who you are. And I want us to remind us today that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, called for better things. You're called to so high. Linda, you're called to so high. God has called you for a, a, a purpose. He's got a purpose for your life. He has not called us to be chickens. He has called us to soar with wings of eagles. And we need to, to embrace that. We need to be heavenly minded 
to be any earthly good. We don't need to be earthly minded because if we are, we lose the consciousness of who we are. The early church, in closing, the early church, it's, we are told that all the time, because sometimes it's because when there's, a, um, when there's a fire under your butt, things start to move up. They, they were facing persecution. And, and there was stuff happening around them. Can the bands come forward so we can go on? There's stuff, there was stuff going on in the midst of that. And they were facing persecution with Nero. And all the time they would open their windows. They would say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord, so we can be like you. Today as a church, the greeting at that time was, when they greet their brother, they would not say Shalom anymore. They would say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Are we earthly mind, so earthly minded that we don't see that the coming of the Lord is imminent? He is coming back. He, he keeps his promises. He said, behold, I am coming soon. And he is coming for his church. He is coming for a bride that's ready. Are we a bride that's ready? That's what Jesus is coming for. He's coming back. I know there's a lot of eschatological views about this, but the, the final thing is that he is coming back. Soon. Soon. Are you ready? And as we're going to sing, I'm going to invite people, I'll invite you to an opportunity. If you want to pray by yourself, this side of the altar is open to that. And if you want to, someone to come and pray with you, this side of the altar is open for that. But the whole idea is that we need to realize, reshift your mind. You might be saying today in your heart, Lord, I've, I've been a Christian. I am a believer, yes, but my mind has not been reset. Or in the, in the meanwhile, I walked away and things changed. And I want to go back to my first love. This is the opportunity for you today. You might be saying, Lord, I know you're coming soon. I want to get ready. This might be your opportunity today. And you might be saying, I've never even given my life to Jesus. This might be your opportunity today to change, the, to change your destiny, to change your eternity. And today I want us as a church to stand as we sing, Come, Lord Jesus. We realize that he is coming. Reminder, he is coming. And in the meanwhile, ask yourself, are you ready?